Thanks for tuning into The Scoop. I hope we can continue to serve as an important source of information and entertainment during these unprecedented times. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Bitstamp, before we get started with the episode. They're the original global cryptocurrency exchange. Since 2011, Bitstamp has been a cornerstone of the cryptocurrency industry and the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors, trusted by over 4 million customers, including top financial institutions. Bitstamp is built on professional-grade trading technology. Their platform is powered by a matching engine from NASDAQ, the global stock exchange, and their APIs are consistently recognized as the best in the industry. Bitstamp's advanced trading interface, TradeView, features live charting, deep analytical tools, and is available on web and mobile. You can download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and to start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning into The Scoop. We have a very special episode for you today. We have some breaking news out of cryptocurrency exchange Kraken. We are talking to Marco Santori, the crypto lawyer. He is the chief legal officer at Kraken, and he is going to be talking to us about some breaking news out of the cryptocurrency exchange. Today, they are announcing that they have approval from the state of Wyoming to launch a crypto bank dubbed Kraken Financial. It's going to be regulated by Wyoming's Division of Banking as a so-called special purpose depository institution. So basically what this new bank is going to allow Kraken to do is engage with the financial system without its own intermediary. It's not going to have to rely on third-party banking providers. Kraken's bank will be its bank and in the future at some point in the future it will allow them to expand their product suite they'll be able to launch things like interest bearing accounts they'll be able to maybe do some things with stocks and other opportunities down the pike so we have marco here to break down what exactly it took to get to this point what it means for the crypto space broadly and we're going to dabble into some other things i'm sure maybe some defi and the like. Marco, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's good to have you on. Well, thanks for having me, Frank. So this special purpose depository institution that you guys are now able to create and launch, um, what what are the things you're allowed to now do with this charter? And what makes it maybe more crypto specific? Because my understanding after speaking with um, David Kanitsky, who's the CEO of Kraken Financial, is that it's it's purpose built for digital asset cryptocurrency firms that want to operate as a bank. So what maybe can a SPDI firm do that a traditional bank cannot? Um, you know, I think purpose built is the right way to look at it. And I don't think it's there's so much clarity that, that we do have now that we didn't have before this charter. But that clarity, you know, I. I think it's best viewed through what the SPDI can in well, what the SPDI can do and frankly what it can't do compared to traditional banks. The SPDI can take deposits, it can operate a payment system, it can custody, it can custody assets, it can custody crypto. 
it can custody dollars if it if it so wanted to. Uh, but you know, primarily banks are in the business of taking deposits. The interesting thing is 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 what it cannot do, and what that ultimately means for the bank and maybe the future of SPDIs in Wyoming. And that's operate fractional reserves. You know, banks historically just make money by charging more in interest on loans from their borrowers than they pay out in interest to their depositors. But that is, you know, it's only sort of this was marginally profitable business. In the in the US at least, the real profit comes from lending out more money than you have. And we call that fractional reserve. That's something that the SPDI cannot do. And as a result, it doesn't trigger the FDI Act. It doesn't trigger the Bank Holding Company Act. All these acts that create regulations and rules on banks that kind of make them the stodgy, um, stodgy, slow-moving entities that we know them to be, certainly from the perspective of technology companies. Mm-hmm. What type of insurances are there around safeguarding funds on the platform if there's not uh, FDIC insurance? Is there something else or the nature of the platform not relying on fractional reserves? Maybe that makes it less risky, but is there some sort of insurance mechanism? Yeah, keep in mind, FDIC insurance is different than the insurance a bank has in case, you know, if it gets robbed. These are different worlds. FDIC insurance is, is meant to protect against insolvency risk, where a bank loans out more money than it has, and then the depositors all come rushing through the doors asking for their money back. Then what happens? Well, if it happens too quickly, or the bank takes on more risk, the bank becomes insolvent, and then it can't give you your money back, and that's a problem. That's why the FDIC exists, at least primarily, um, and that's why the Bank Holding Company Act exists. Because the FDIC is a regulator that works to mitigate all of the risks that come along with lending out more money than you have. And SPDI can't do that. And those risks aren't there for the SPDI. So this isn't, you know, some end run around the federal regulations. This is trying to focus on the risks that are real and the risks that are present rather than just regulating for regulation's sake. Mm -hmm. What about thinking about some of the other agencies that are out there, right? Earlier this year, we saw the OCC come out and kind of, you know, basically give its blessing to crypto custody for banks, approving that this is a banking activity or falls within the parameters of banking activities. Obviously, you have several other agencies through which crypto firms are regulated, right? There's South Dakota, which is the state through which Bitco says it's a qualified custodian. There's New York Department of Financial Services. Each state, you know, many are trying to sit at the forefront of this market and and in some cases maybe antagonize this market depending on your seat, right? But how does what you guys did in Wyoming maybe interact with or, or speak to what's going on in other jurisdictions and I imagine you guys have been speaking with folks in other jurisdictions, but how does it maybe play in with all these other places where they're trying to change and push the envelope on crypto regulations? Well, look, first of all, it's a good question. And and first of all, there are a lot of places around the world who have, you know, talked and talked and talked about 
innovation and fostering innovation and bringing the best services and goods to their residents and their citizens. Wyoming is the only state that actually actually did it. And that's that's significant in its own right. It signals confidence to the market. It um, gives comfort to entrepreneurs who really do want to build new products. But speaking more broadly among those other states and other regulators, this is a much broader phenomenon, right? It's not the liberalization of any particular regulation. It's sort of the recognition of how these assets really fit into the broader financial system, like the OCC letter, for example. That The content of that letter was unsurprising to bank lawyers and to financial services lawyers more broadly. There, there, there really wasn't a lot of doubt, I think, among the bar that banks could custody crypto just like they could custody just about any other property, right? That wasn't the impact of that letter. The impact of that letter is that the OCC up and wrote it down. That's, you think, that's to a degree, you think to a degree it was kind of like innovation theater to no, not at all. I I wouldn't say it's innovation theater. I think it's recogn- I think this is uh, it's momentum. It's a recognition of what is inevitable. I think, but certainly what is becoming more acceptable to discuss among regulatory circles. There wasn't a, a credible soul at OCC who thought banks couldn't custody crypto. the The important part was that it became acceptable. The Overton window shifted such that they could write it down and they could publish it. That's an important signal to the market. It's all good is for sure. There's, this is not a bad signal. It's it's certainly a positive one. And well, I think we, we should all welcome it. I have a question that might be, I hope it doesn't come off snarky. It might be a little naive, but I guess when you look at some of these charters or you know frameworks that are developed by states that are you know, I I guess maybe less populated or or not maybe at the heart of capital markets. And this just might be the um, East Coast, you know, elitist uh, journalist in me, right? Like, is there there concern or is there maybe something about this coming from Wyoming that maybe makes it less important than if it came out of a bigger state like New York in terms of maybe potential clients um, who would... (laughs) maybe bank with this institution saying, well, all right, like, all right, you guys are a bank, but your charter's from Wyoming, or maybe not. I think the same thing about like how Bitco is a qualified custodian of South Dakota. It's like, I'm, I'm sure like, listen, these people are uh, leagues smarter than me on the law and on, on you know, capital markets, I'm sure. But I, I guess maybe just from like a branding, you know, branding perspective, maybe it's not the same. Well, no, I, I, I think it's a perfectly valid observation of how people think. So I'll take your questions in order, right? One, yes, you are insuffer- you are an insufferable coastal elite, and and two, <laughs> and I, I, I I wear it with honor. <laughs> but no, then I'm, I'm just I'm just a I'm just a country a country lawyer from a, New Jersey. A simple a simple country lawyer as as am I. So 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 then let's break down the the remaining two into digestible but, pieces. One is on the law, on the substance. What, is it, what does it really mean? What can a state like Wyoming really do? And two, then, two is, a, is more of a cultural question. It's 
more of a question of whether anybody's going to take this seriously in the finer circles of finance. These are two totally valid questions, but I really think the second follows from the first. So I'll give an example. Wyoming did a lot of stuff in its thanks to the, the Wyoming Blockchain Task Force. Some of it is going to be more impactful than others. And that's not just because of the cultural issue you raised. It's because of the black letter law. For example, Wyoming created a, an, an exemption for, uh, for tokens sold in its state, an exemption from the registration requirements that the SEC has put in place and the Securities Act enshrines. Does that matter, really? Does it matter in the industry? Are people going to avail themselves of that exemption in this broader world in which we live where most of the money is on the coasts um, and that's where the regulators are too? Is anybody going to avail themselves of that exemption? I don't know. It's an empirical matter and we'll find out. Mm. But NSPDI is a bank. It is recognized in nearly every state. It is... Uh, it can take deposits. It has the right to petition the the Federal Reserve for access um, for an account. It can become a member of the Federal Reserve. That is the black letter law. Unlike an exemption from the securities laws in a world where almost all sales of securities are interstate and not intrastate, I know for a fact that people are, ta- are going to take advantage of the SPDI and they're going to use it and they're going to use it to great success. I know that for a fact because we're doing it. And, you know, this company that I have admittedly joined full time only recently, well, it didn't undertake the decision lightly. We'll put it that way. There was quite a bit of analysis and real projections. And, and we, we fully expect this to be impactful, to be useful, certainly different than what some of the other things that Wyoming could have done that might not have been impactful just on the black letter law. And I think that when people... Um, start to look at what NSPDI can do under the law and look at the power that it can wield in the market and the services that it can offer, the more efficient, the more transparent services, the cheaper services, the higher quality services than you could do under some other regulatory cover from one of the coastal states. I think the fact that you know it's a less populous state that coastal elites often fly over, hopefully somewhere near the front of the plane, well... That starts to become a lot less important. It's definitely interesting to me when I think about the slings and arrows so many companies have had to go through to get either a bit license or a broker dealer, the cost and the time. I'm sure you remember the headlines. Maybe this was last year or a year ago. It's an ongoing story, but the time it has taken some companies and the backlog of companies that were looking to get a broker dealer to maybe do uh, operate in the securities landscape to offer services that might be tied to tokenized securities or cryptocurrencies that might at some point be deemed securities. And it was a grueling process for a lot of these firms. And so one aspect that I find very interesting of, of, of this sort of new framework of the SPDI is that it, it opens the door maybe to services that involve the trading of securities and, and commodities and derivatives, at least as I understand it from the folks that I've, I've talked to at, at your company. Um, so, so I guess that kind of goes to my next question, which is when you, when you think about, um, you know, companies like Kraken in the future who might want to 
do security tokens or maybe do a security token offering of their own equity, which is something that has been rumored that, that Coinbase might want to do. This could provide the the foundation or the avenue by which to do that instead of, you know, going through that that grueling process with FINRA. Or maybe not. Is that is that sort of the, the sense you have? Well, I think you use the right word that it provides a foundation. That is truly the best way to express what lies ahead. An SPDI charter isn't just going to wave away all of the regulatory issues and regulatory column roadblocks that entrepreneurs face in the United States. There's still quite a bit of work to be done on harmonizing the powers and abilities of the SPDI across the United States. There's a tremendous amount of work ahead of us to do that globally. I don't think that I don't I don't think for a minute that this marks a culmination of any real efforts. This this at best marks a commencement of those efforts and I think that particularly around the ones that you identified in the world of securities there's a lot of work still to be done. I mean, I can't imagine that we uh, or any other SPDI that would be uh, that whose charter would be approved in the next in the foreseeable future would be willing to hang out a shingle saying, "Hey, we're we can now operate as a broker dealer, or we can now offer a, offer qualified custodianship without a lot more work, without more discussions with additional regulators, without having developed the policies and procedures that you really need to be able to hang that kind of shingle." But you use the right word. The SPDI is the right foundation for that. I couldn't imagine doing this with a bit license or some trust. It's nowhere near um, the kind of legal foundation that you would need to truly, to truly serve your customers and to offer transformative products to, that can entice new users. A bank charter is a bank charter. It's and it's and it's a bank charter for a reason. It it comes with a lot of responsibility, but it also comes with um, a sig- significantly more power to serve your customers than a license. If you're a listener of the scoop or follow the block, then you know I am super excited about the future of crypto adoption, especially on the enterprise side. Our sponsor, Blockset, is not only helping to push development at the grassroots level with their multi-chain API, but also at the institutional level. Blockset is built by BRD, the first crypto wallet in the App Store from 2014, and one of the largest in the space today. They've taken the architecture and the knowledge they've gained over the past six years to create Blockset, a robust, reliable, and strategic B2B offering for developers and enterprises. Blockset is enabling banks and other major financial institutions to interface and build with crypto assets at light speed. See just how simple it is by visiting Blockset.com and sign up for a free account today. I used the word or the phrase innovation theater earlier in the show. Um, We might be seeing some of that out of New York Department of Financial Services. We saw some headlines. I won't have you say that, Marco, because I know you're a gentleman, unlike me. But, you know, they're maybe feeling the pressure from some innovative initiatives like this. They've come out and said that they 
or, you know, handing down the ladder, so to speak, trying to make it easier to acquire this license and, and make the process less grueling. What do you think has made it so difficult for them to kind of remedy or ameliorate the process? Um, and, and I guess to put the question more bluntly, is this an existential threat uh, to the bit license in New York's firm grip over the crypto space? Wow, Frank, I, I can't believe you're putting me in a position to defend the DFS. This is this is crazy. To just a few years ago, I was I was testifying against the bit license. <laughs> <laughs> they, or, they, they didn't or, listen, but um, <laughs> I you know I testified against the bit license. I said it 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 was too broadly drafted. It would it it would stifle innovation and not encourage it. I said it was short sighted, and I said that it would be bad for New Yorkers. And I said that from within New York as a as a New Yorker myself. And well, things have changed. Um, the administration that penned the bit license uh, is 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 now long gone. There there have been two new superintendents since since Lasky, and each of those superintendents I think has taken a really thoughtful approach to administering the bit license. I mean. Frank, name the um, name all the big uh, enforcement actions by DFS for uh, for folks mm-hmm. uh, flouting the bit license rules. You can't. I can't. Right. I think yeah. there were there was like one or two uh, as Lasky was leaving, and then nothing. Yeah. Um, and compare that to say there's a lot of there's a lot of firms that are working in New York, but have their little outposts in Jersey city. <laughs> for, and we for know sure. look, it hasn't been, it it's hasn't tough been. for me because, you know, I kind of look silly sometimes because I've been to some of these offices, right. And I put in my reports, you know, New York based X, New York based Y. And then I'll see other articles where it's like New Jersey headquartered. I'm like, Hmm, but you guys just had like a crypto pizza party on uh, Madison Avenue or, you know, what's, what's the deal? But no, of course, no one's getting, no one's really getting in trouble for that. Well, I, and I think that's, that's because, look, that I know that's because the last two superintendents have exercised restraint. They have been thoughtful about how to administer the bit license. And our current administration not only hasn't announced any major enforcement actions to enforce the bit license, they've tried to, they've tried to clarify it, which is, I mean, if I'm being, political, I can say that we're trying to clarify it, but what they've, what they've done is, is limited it. They've reined it in. The latest moves on the bit license are to enable the firms themselves to create their own listing standards, get the listing standards blessed by the DFS, and then the firms can list whatever assets they want, right? Uh, so long as they follow the listing standards, right? So well, I mean, that's, that's a far cry from Ben Lasky's ask me permission before you innovate original draft. Well, that's another example of maybe how they become more lenient, right? I mean, I never thought I'd see the day where Coinbase lists Wi-Fi, right? <laughs> um, that was a pretty crazy thing. You got to think today. I mean, I remember we were asking ourselves here at the block, did DFS really approve that? But anyway, they, they must have, right? Because that's sort of their um, primary regulator um, and they kind of, run all the listings through through them. Um, 
But you know, not to sort of linger into the you know regulatory world too much. I wanna I wanna just circle back to maybe the meat and potatoes of this for the listeners before I let you get on with the rest of your evening and and continue your recovery from your sinus infection, which I, I'm often plagued by myself. Um, hey, I was just hoping to give you the bedroom voice today, Frank. <laughs> Thank you. No, like I said, very sultry. Um, so I guess the question is going back to just like what this means for users of, of Kraken. Um, in terms of the experience, right? Like having sort of Kraken replace its third-party banking providers with this affiliate firm, um, which would then have its own account with the Federal Reserve, right? And would be the the kind of point of contact for engaging with the rest of the financial system. What does it mean for like me as a trader, right? Like if I'm, you know, trying to move in and out of, you know, let's say uh, ETH or something, um, is that going to be happening quicker? Am, am I going to make more money? I don't know. What, what might what might I expect? <laughs> Well, I, I might have to open up account now with Kraken. Who knows? I, I think you do. I think you do, or at least you soon will. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you'll make more money. I don't think I can make you a better trader. But uh, I don't think the touch of Christ can make you a better trader. <laughs> but what I, I, what I, I, I have, I'm the only, like, I have tried, like, I did a little experiment where I set aside, I got permission, a thousand bucks. And I, you know, tried the staking and I tried the, and I like, I'm going to write about it, I think, to like pen my experience uh, in DeFi. But oh my God, I mean, it was bad. Needless to say, anyway, that's just me. So there's really two buckets of things users users can expect. One, I think Kraken has a stellar record. Uh, and I, in fact, I know Kraken has a stellar record of being good stewards of our users' funds. But on the uh, in the rare occasion that a user is inquiring about the status of their deposit or their withdrawal, or golly, the the I gave you the wrong bank account number, or do you have my deposit yet? I really wanted to buy some bitcoins. Um, those kinds of inquiries are going to move a lot faster. It's certainly going to be cheaper for us to do. But the second bucket is maybe the more impactful one, and that we can actually be more flexible in the kinds of services that we start to offer, the kinds of tight integrations that we can start to offer to our users. That is something that um, you can only do when you bring that banking in-house instead of relying on somebody else's API limitations. So um, I think the future is bright um, and it really is green fields. We want to be a safe, responsible, transparent, and efficient nexus between the legacy financial system and this exciting new world that uh, we're all growing together here in the crypto ecosystem. Awesome. I want to be respectful of your time, but since I have you and you are uh, the leading mind in the sort of crypto regulatory space, I got to get your hot take on on all of this mania in DeFi. Is this just ICO craziness 2.0? Are these things securities? I mean, a lot of these governance tokens, right? You're, they kind of uh, make me harken back on the days of utility tokens, right? These things have utility. They allow you to, you know, participate in governance. Is that is that enough to to keep the wandering eye of the SEC away? Everybody's so focused on the SEC, and I think that's right. You got to look out for Uncle Sam, and there's a cop on the beat, right? But at the same time, um, uh, we're seeing plaintiff's lawsuits, right? We just saw somebody get served at 
uh, a public rally uh, on, on Twitter, right? right? Um, right. Like the risk of the private lawsuits are massive. But look, we saw this happen in, in the dot-com era too, right? There was this initially what was uh, perceived as like a blossoming of activity and a blossoming of innovation. We started to see the tarnished bits uh, as well. Um, in the end, the high quality projects pushed through, right? We, we still have eBay. We still have, uh, you know, these massive internet companies, Amazon, that, that started back then and were, and were part of what was perceived to be a bubble back then, rightly so. The good companies made it through. And so I think the same thing is happening here in DeFi. There's, um, there's going to be plenty of lawsuits. There's going to be plenty of enforcement activity. But there are credible projects out there, some of which I, you know, I, I personally believe in, um, that I think are going to change the way that we, that we do finance, right? Your favorite food themed token is pickle finance, pickle Rick finance. (laughs) Yeah. Is like your favorite food themed token. It's basically a crapshoot, right? It's, it's just a question of odds and you want to joke about how, how, oh, you're really just a degenerate and, and you're just gambling. I, I, I certainly won't argue with you. But then there are the high quality infrastructure projects, the ones that have, that have been around for a long time um, and the ones that are challenging them, like you know, Uniswap and Balancer. These are high quality projects that I think can really change the way that people look at centralized exchange and they can, look at, they can change the way that people look at their portfolios. Um, and actually Barry Silbert, you know, a long time ago, um, I'm dating myself, but this is back in 2013, I think. Back in 1973. <laughs> yeah. You guys were at the Espinald. Ba- ba- back in 2013, you know, he was at an investment conference and someone said, hey, you know, you talk about all this utility that Bitcoin is supposed to have, but all I, all I do is I see you here pitching us in, in investing in Bitcoin. That's not utility. That's not making Bitcoin work. And he said, look. Uh, and I'll never forget this. He says, look, people have to have these things before they can spend these things. Um, and that was a very simple thing to say, but it evinced, I, I, I think, a, a very, really a prescient and early understanding of how this is all going to work and how how we're all going to win. Those high quality projects that I mentioned, Uniswap and uh, Balancer and MakerDAO, these are projects that are going to change the way that people get this stuff and manage their pools of this stuff. And I think it accelerates adoption and it gets us to that point where, you know, maybe the, the gold bugs of the world aren't, aren't so excited about, but it, it gets us to that point where we're actually using uh, our Bitcoin and are using our crypto on, on the day-to-day basis. And who knows? Maybe uh, Pickle Rick Finance is the Amazon of the crypto world at some point. Probably not. But this this is what I meant about making you a better trader. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so can I ask you one more question? Yeah, I'm here for you. It's relevant. Listen, so one thing that I've been trying to bother you guys about is all of these hirings that you've been doing, right? Or all of these... Um, you had a really interesting um, profile in Bloomberg Law, and you've, you've tweeted about the different positions you're trying to hire for, building yeah. out the team, doubling the team. And part of that is sort of on the deal-making M&A side, which is something I've been paying attention to closely. I've been trying to write like a 
overview of the of the deal making market and talking to some of the different advising firms like there are crypto investment bankers like the market's shaping up in in a pretty cool way um right like there's galaxy there's this company called spartan group um and there's there's a few others i I guess from like from your perspective how do you see that market shaping up and and where do you think we'll see uh you know we've seen a number of acquisitions this year right coinbase to gummy um, Binance, Coin Market Cap. Um, what makes these deals unique, and where do you expect them to take place? Um, loaded, loaded question. It's it's a it's a big one. Um, I think in the next year we're gonna we're we're gonna see like a real uh, our real exits that the you know the crypto VCs have been. I should say that the traditional VCs who invested in crypto companies have been you know watching the clock on and tapping their fingers on. Um, I think we're going to start seeing real exits, um, and that's a that's a burst dam kind of situation. That once you see one, you start seeing more because those exits uh, start to put a price to the market, and you can start marking new companies to that market. So whether we see some of the um, some of the more established companies hit the public markets via direct listings or IPOs or SPACs or whatever it might be. I think we're going to see that in the next year. I think that the time is right. We have a lot, you know, crypto has a lot behind it, a lot of nasty stuff behind it. And I and people are still sticking with it. Investors are still sticking with it. That means that the future is bright. Once we see the first one, it, it really just wets uh, it just whets investors' appetites for the second one. And it maybe more importantly and more concretely, it puts a price to it. And as we saw with this little thing called the crypto token, putting a price to something is incredibly impactful. It changes the nature of how we think about industries when the industry ha- itself has a real market for it. Um, so I think the public markets are, are going to lead the way. I do expect more M&A this year as well. I think that um, I think particularly when, uh, as as the broader economy stumbles, um, we may see more partnerships and bridges being built between crypto and mainstream fintech or just mainstream tech. Um, people are going to be looking for yield uh, in places where they couldn't find it, particularly big corporates. Um, as their profit margins slim, um, as their uh, rates of return on other investments slim, and as the the crypto infrastructure providers continue to make money relative to them hand over fist, it's going to start getting quite a bit of attention. So I expect to see more uh, more handshakes across the aisle of fintech, so to speak, um, from the traditional world into crypto. Um, Whose hands will Kraken be shaking? Very, uh, very oh, firm, yeah. very firm hands, uh, well-tanned hands. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I, well, we I shall think, see. Well, I, we yeah. Shall. And I look, I, I think the, um, I think the future is bright there too. I look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't keep doing this year after year since what, 2012 I've been doing this. If I didn't think that there was not only a real opportunity for a lawyer to uh, to do good and to do well in crypto, but um, if I didn't think this really was going to mean something by the time I retire, 
But we still have some time before that, I hope. Hopefully not, brother. <laughs> well, but, well, let let us know when you do. Um, you know, we've had a few folks on the podcast who have either retired or got promoted soon after um, uh, coming on. So maybe soon you'll be chief chief legal officer, and then the next time we have you on, you can you can retire. Thank you so much, Marco Santori. Really appreciate your time and your insights, and talk to you soon. Congrats on the new charter and the new bank, Kraken Financial. Thanks so much. Thanks, Frank. I'd like to give our sponsor, Bitstamp, a big thank you. The original global cryptocurrency exchange. Bitstamp is built for professional traders, yet intuitive enough for any investor. You can use Bitstamp's advanced trading interface, TradeView, to execute your strategy or instantly buy crypto in seconds when the opportunity strikes all from your computer or mobile device. Bitstamp prides itself on delivering unmatched customer service with a human touch. Their global customer care team is available around the clock via telephone, email, and social media. When you contact them, you'll always speak to an actual person, not a bot. You can download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and to start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro.